Tonight, you folks at home and we here in the Coliseum will watch history in the making. The first game ever for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Morgan's Farm to Table Studios brings you today's edition of The Howl. Morgan's Farm to Table is located on County Road 42 in Nicollet and Burnsville. Taste the difference. Award winning. The Howl would also like to welcome you to the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. Nothing But Net is a channel like no other featuring all teams and all topics from everybody's favorite league, the NBA. The Howl is a proud member of CLNS Media Network and can be found on clnsmedia.com as well as Podient, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. The Howl is also produced with thanks to our wonderful supporting partners, Rhyme Sayers Entertainment, the pinnacle of underground hip-hop worldwide, Studio 23, where passion reigns supreme, and Isabel Street Heat, adding a bit of spice into your everyday life. I'm the Janelle McCarvel of the radio world, your host, Kevin Draves. To my right is Aaron and one Groshong, the producer of the show, and seated to my left is none other than Rob Boxout Hess, who is the jack of all trades for the program. Tonight's first quarter, we are honored to be joined by one of the greatest coaches in basketball history, Lynx GM and head coach Cheryl Reeve. We will end with review and preview for both the Timberwolves and the Iowa Wolves. Second quarter is our NBA and WNBA talkers segment, looking at what's going on around both of the leagues. As we start tonight's howl, we quote our guest Cheryl Reeve. We all have a voice. When all is said and done, what do you want to be known for? First quarter of the howl here on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. And tonight we are joined by a very special guest. She is a two-time WNBA Coach of the Year, two-time WNBA All-Star Team Coach, and a six-time WNBA Champion, four of those with your Minnesota Lynx. She is your Minnesota Lynx head coach and newly promoted GM, Cheryl Reeve. Cheryl, thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. Good uh, to see you. Sitting in rarefied air here in the den with uh, one of the greatest coaches in WNBA history. So thank you for taking time to uh, to join us here. Happy to be here. She's on the couch with me, man. I mean, I want her to pinch me, to be honest with you, just so I can feel like it's real. But I know it's real because we just got done watching Bill dance blooper reels, and we made her laugh a little bit. So that's good. Yeah, it was interesting. Successful night already. <laughs> but we have a lot to talk about. Um, 
there's a ton going on and you know whether it's the all-star game you have the upcoming draft we have the ncaa tournament going on which i mean it's just this is like my basketball prime right now i mean between march madness with the men's the women's and then once that's over i get the nba playoffs in full form and i mean basketball never sleeps in, in and don't forget the WNBA. Oh, no, never, <laughs> never. Um, Rob, what do you want to get into first? Well, I guess, you know, let's start it off. You know, you've won four championships with the Lynx, but you also won some with uh, Detroit. Kind of what's the differences in those different experiences? That's a great question. You know, and I actually have not been asked that, um, you know, the differences between the two teams. But, you know, I would say that our, our time in Detroit was very unique in that we had a group of players that uh, what we called functionally dysfunctional. Uh, it wasn't necessarily – they were more – you know, they kind of embraced the idea of playing for Bill Ambeer and Rick Mahorn as – as being the bad girls, if you will, uh, a bit more edgy in terms of the personalities, sure. a highly competitive group, um, you know, a, a mix of different people, whether it was Elaine Powell, Deanna Nolan, um, Ruth Riley, Cheryl Ford, Swain Cash, Katie Smith. Um, it was a really, really unique group. Uh, Planet Pearson, actually, is where we spent a lot of time together. Kara Braxton, highly talented group, uh, but a group that, you know, every day was a bit of a ride. He didn't know what you were getting. Um, but at the end of the day, they were all there for the same thing. That was to win. And, and uh, we had some great years together, three straight years in the finals, two championships, as you mentioned. So when I came to Minnesota, I thought that's how you did it. I thought you did it with kind yeah. of that edgy, you know, kind of bad girl kind of kind of way. Uh, I really enjoyed that. That's more that's more me. That's more my personality. And, uh, you know, enjoy being disliked. And um, but when I got here, this group wasn't like that. This group was nice. And, <laughs> you know, I thought, oh, boy, we're in trouble. You know, the, um, really good people at the core of who they were and great teammates. And every day was fun together. And, and we didn't have drama. We didn't have the ups and downs of uh, sometimes the dysfunction of some of the personalities. So it was really cool to see you could do it in different ways. And, and this is sustainable, uh, the way that we've done it. And um, But really special teams, special players on Detroit teams, and then clearly, you know, special special players with these teams that we've had here in Minnesota. Go for- so, I mean, coming into being the head coach of the Lynx, 2010, uh, finished fifth in the West, missed the playoffs. But after that, you don't finish anything worse than second in the West. You, your second year, you win your first NBA, WNBA title. I mean, that's that's a pretty sizable change from going fifth in the West to winning the West, winning the finals. I mean, was it? Do you feel that it's something coaching wise that you brought to the table that maybe the team hadn't seen before, or what? What do you think attributed to the to the massive change? Because usually we see these, you know, dynasties kind of take a little bit of time to build and then sustainable. You don't usually go from one year of missing the playoffs to the first of, of four titles. Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in some respects you have. If you look at the Patriots, you know, they won in their second year that that Belichick was there. Uh, Bill Lambier went from worst to first uh, with his time in Detroit. So I've seen some you know, that, that can do it that way. I think for us, it was a matter of 
you know, we, we when I got here, we kind of had to go through addition by subtraction. We had to get the right mix of people that were after the same thing. I, I would say that when I first got here, we weren't all on board for the same thing. There were some that were more interested in their statistics and um, their brand, that sort of thing. I think getting a Lindsay Whale and Simone Augustus was already here. Simone was was very willing uh, to do what was necessary to change the culture. Uh, she said she was tired of going to the All Star game. She'd go every year. You know, Simone, you know, would average 22 points a game and be at the All-Star game. But she said, Coach, we walk into the locker room with, a, with an L on my head. I'm a, you know, I go in there and we don't win. And, and she was tired of that. And so she was happy to, to make the changes necessary, which is to do little things that win a game. Scoring is really important. And the way that she does it has been really special. But, but for me, it's the, you know, it's, it's the little things in a defensive possession, your defensive assignment, um, you know, efficiency on offense, taking good shots. There, there's just really small things. I can't tell you that there's any real secret sauce, if you will, but the blend of players that we have, uh, Lindsay Lindsay Whalen, like I said, we traded for, um, you know, getting lucky that the year that we were in the lottery and won the lottery, that the player's name was Maya Moore. Yeah. Let's, let's not understate that. I mean, that's been huge. <laughs> you know how happy I was when that happened? Probably very happy oh, if my you're goodness. a Lynx fan. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. I, I remember being in the in the room that whether with the lottery, we were in New York where the lottery was, was happening, you know, and the balls are bouncing around, and and uh, you know it's it's a one of those systems that doesn't just pop up and say Minnesota Lynx is not just one ball; it's a series of numbers. You guys probably know this, so I have no clue. You know, there you know our people that were with us, you know, know that the range of numbers that fall between here and here, and it's a lot of numbers. It's not a simple between like one and three. It's a lot of numbers. And when the first ball came up, I saw our our two people kind of look at each other like, uh oh, that that's us. You know, like it's and then so the next one, next one, and then and the closer they got. Uh, the more excited than, than to hear the commissioner say the Minnesota Lynx. I let out a big, I don't know if it was it was protocol that well, you're allowed to do that or not, but I let out a big old, you know, pump, pump my fist and say, woo! You know, that was one of those things. I knew it was franchise changing. And, and uh, you know, Rebecca Brunson has been a, uh, kind of the, the blue collar, do anything for you, doesn't care who gets the credit, doesn't want us to run a play for her. So just a blend of, of players and, you know, Sylvia Fowles that we traded for, same thing. She held out for more than half a season so she could come join this group, not to chase championships, but because she wanted to play with these people and, and the way that we do it. And so that's probably been, been the biggest thing is just getting everyone on board that it's about team first. And uh, we were able to do that pretty instantly because of the type of people that we had here. You know, it's it's interesting because how you say we had to do some subtraction and then addition, and then everything you just really touched on, in my mind, it just really speaks on the chemistry that's built in, in the culture, which is really sort of that family brand culture, playing for each other. Um, when did you see that take shape? Like Kevin was saying, you, from fifth to first, did you, was it kind of like a flick of the switch all of a sudden maybe you had a practice or had a game where it was a tough battle and all of a sudden you're like they're getting it. it can, was, is there a moment where you can actually absolutely. kind of look back at? Yeah, we, uh, the 2011 training camp was was by far the best WNBA training camp I was ever a part of and what I remember and, and Maya Moore was contagious, her behavior was contagious in that she was a rookie and didn't know a lot of things but she's a winner and winners carry themselves a certain way and they it's value It's that spirit. Yeah, and they, and they value the connection with their teammates and so here's this player who's you know one of the most heralded college players ever 
coming in, number one pick, and she was coming into a team going, look, I know these players are good. I watched them play. So she felt very, very lucky to come to a team like ours. Usually when you're drafted number one, you're going to a bad team yep. that you're going to have to do a lot of work. And so she appreciated We had some really good pieces in place. We had a really uh, – we had a nice offseason. We attracted a free agent by the name of Taj McWilliams-Franklin who was just a stickler for details and it's what exactly our team needed. Um, you know, and I would just say that it was – that camp, I, re- I remember vividly. I can I can see our players. Every little thing we did, they enjoyed doing with each other. They celebrated when we would get a stop in a drill, or when when they would win a drill, whether it was a shooting drill, uh, end of game situations, and just the way that they enjoyed being around each other all the time. Shoot arounds, practices. Now, eight years later, there's a little bit more of a challenge to get <laughs> that enjoyment, but uh, but at the end of the day, that's what it is about. Is that You know, I've had a player tell me, a young player, that I was wavering on whether or not to to cut him. And her position was that she didn't have to love her teammates. She didn't have to like her teammates. She just had to go to work. And I said, I just, I couldn't disagree more. Sure, yeah. You know, that we're, we're big believers in, not only do we want you to like your teammates, we want to love your teammates. Are you guys going to be, you know, when you get away from here, you have, does everyone have to go together and do everything? No. But you have to have a genuine love for the person next to you that you're going to, that you're going to war with. And and so, you know, that was, that was something that was really telling about that young player. And uh, we didn't cut her. Um, and, and you know she she since has you know really talked about how no one's ever really brought that to her attention before how important that was and that's really really what's special about our group I think what you're talking about too I, I see as it's the connection and and some could see it as love for each other but that connection transfers to the court because that's the trust that you show on the passes you're expecting people to be there it's it's the cuts that you see them making before the cuts are happening that's when i hear you talk about that that's the first thing that comes to my head is that that's the love you had to have for your teammates yeah you don't have to go have a spaghetti dinner with them afterwards but when you just truly and authentically have that trust and care for them it shows on the basketball court and, and obviously we all the rest is history kind yeah. of. results speak for yeah, themselves they, yeah. they definitely do and our fans you know that's what our fans say when they, when they watch us play they feel our joy it's a, it's a genuine love for the game love for the team you know the whole thing that you know that the chemistry kind of oozes from this group and I think people have really enjoyed being a part of that so how? So I guess to kind of springboard off of that, I've heard uh, some of the players talk about vision when it comes to kind of how you're coaching. How important can it be to have goals as a team, but maybe like individual goals for certain players too? Great question. Um, you know, we we kind of do the big goal thing as a team. You know, but um, we always say on the first day of training camp, you know, what is everyone saying on day one? There's 12 teams. What is everyone saying? Everyone's saying we want to win a championship, right? Of course. Uh, and so we think that's silly. Uh, what we talk about is we know there's only a few teams that have a legitimate chance to win a championship. Definitely. At, at this time in our franchise's history, we happen to be one of those teams. And so we don't it's, you don't just kind of leave it there for us. We talk a lot about, okay, how? How are we going to do these things? And so we have some team goals. And then within those team goals, you have the day-to-day details of how you're going to accomplish your goals, right? Now, I also have player meetings and we and we set goals for those players. I think it's really important that 
even though we don't care who gets the credit, I think it's important for Maya Moore to want to be the to be the MVP. Yeah, oh, for sure. I think it's important for Sylvia Fowles to want to be the MVP, uh, or you know, or Simone Augustus through the years. We've talked about goals of her being on the All Defensive Team, and 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 so. You know, Lindsey Whalen being the assist leader, whatever it is, those are really important things. It doesn't mean that you care about yourself more than a team. These are things that are necessary to for our team's success. If Lindsey Whalen's getting the the assist leader uh, award at the end of the season, that means that we probably scored a lot of baskets. That means yes. we probably won well, some very games. True. Uh, you know, if Maya Moore's in the MVP conversation or Sill or Simone defense, whatever it is, uh, that's usually and we talk about this a lot about this as a team. These things don't come unless you win. And so we know sure. in order for us to achieve individual awards like Players of the Week or MVPs, your team has to be successful. And so we have a nice kind of, I think, mix or balance, if you will, of of when it's time to, you know, uh, you're always working towards your goals. You're always working towards your individual goals. But you're never letting that individual goal mean more than the team goal. And this group really understands that. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's – you can only accomplish so much as an individual. I mean, if you if you want the championship, I don't know of any sports team ever that's won it all by one. You know, I mean, we're not playing tennis. That's right. for that's for sure. Right. So, uh, so not just winning at a WNBA level, but you've also you were also an assistant with Team USA in the Olympics, helping them bring home the gold in 2016. Tell us about that experience. I mean, you know, winning at an international level for your country has got to be a completely different feeling than, you know, a, a WNBA title. I mean, this is it's a world stage, you know. Yeah, it was really different. Um, well, the first part that's different is that these people that you're competing against in the WNBA are now we're all on the same team. You know, so there is that, you know, where we kind of have a healthy dislike for our opponents. And all of a sudden we've got to, you know, have, like have a Diana Taurasi or a Candace Parker on the same side. <laughs> as our, as our, you know, so I struggled with that initially, um, you know, but, but have since kind of, uh, you know, uh, figured out how to manage that. But, you know, as you mentioned, it's, there's nothing like the pressure of wanting to win for your country. So these Olympics, you know, have a new meaning for me as now when I go back and I watch, uh, you know, the winter Olympics this year and just knowing the Olympics are so special because it truly is about the athlete. That That's the coolest thing is, you know, when you watch college basketball, for example, it's not always about the athletes, it's about a lot of other things, you know, a lot of money involved, you know, a lot of, you know, coaches getting paid millions of dollars. Olympics is so pure. It's about the athlete and it's the hard work that goes into preparation. I mean, I watch some of these skaters and I'm going, you know how much time and energy they put into mm-hmm. it and for it maybe not to go quite the way, you know, you wanted to go is gut-wrenching because it just takes so much and um, you know I think for from a team standpoint with, with USA Basketball it's an incredible organization to be a part of. Uh, they mirror uh, the values that that we have with the Minnesota Lynx and and uh, really good people. You know, they don't they don't do it where they just take a player even if they're good and they're a knucklehead. But they just don't do it. Um, you know, so I think that's important. I think Gino, my experience with him, I'm really glad my first one uh, was working for him. You know, even though it was his second um, you know Olympic run, it was it was my first time with him. Learned a ton. You know about what mattered on. On the international stage and 
And so, and then for me, you know, to have four players on that team, that was really, really special. <laughs> yeah. So I told, you know, I mean, Simone got a kick out of it. You know, the assistant coaches carried the bags, you know. So every chance I, you know, every, every chance Simone got, she was like, here, coach, carry my bag, you know. <laughs> hey, I need some water, you know. So she enjoyed that. Hey, she's got to remember, you know, come training camp. <laughs> you know? I told her. That's what that I told be, her. She's gotta, being short-sighted there. <laughs> yeah, got to be careful. Some extra running, it sounds like. Um, the, the pressure with Team USA, I feel, has got to be so unique. You, you talked about you have to keep a healthy, competitive edge during the regular season and playoffs in WNBA. And I, I imagine, you know, when I'm going against somebody, I kind of keep that same edge as well. It's it's got to be just so. I, I would give anything to just sit and watch a practice, just like the first day of practice or something when they're all kind of coming together, because it's got to be interesting, you know. I mean, like you said, Candace Parker. We all know these last three years. I mean, battles out. In, I mean, just ultimate battles. Um, I, I just I just find it. Why do you say the dislike thing is interesting? You know, if a team likes you, that means they're probably beating you. You know, that's typically who you like. Yeah. You like the ones that you're yep. beating. And so, you know, that was our mission. You know, I said I wanted Minneapolis, you know, as an opponent when I would come here. Loved coming here. I loved the food. I loved to walk around. I wasn't stressed. And, you know, you knew if you hang around, you could win the game, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, we said we had to change that. We wanted people to come to Minneapolis. And the, you know, when you don't win, the food doesn't taste very good. The drinks aren't good. <laughs> They're too you know? expensive. Yeah. I mean, and so, you know, we don't want them partying in our clubs after they win and, and so we said we just want to change all of that and, and I'm happy to say that um, Minneapolis is not uh, you know, the team's <laughs> favorite destination anymore you, you brought up venue and I know these guys got a couple more questions just real quick when it comes to venue around the league what are what's a difficult venue to play in? Like, what's a more hostile crowd that you've come to notice, or, or, well, or maybe one that your players seem to kind of struggle with? I would say uh, for for years the Seattle Storm, when when Lauren Jackson yep. was in her prime, and and Sue Bird and Tanisha Wright, Camille Little, and they and they were competing for championships. I do remember it loud. I mean, their their fan base was you know just uh, extremely uh, engaged, and like you said, loud and key you know, was was one of the great, even was one of the great, what I remember you know, watching the NBA team uh, play there, and they were right on top of you. I remember always wanting to watch them play because it was just an unbelievable environment. So I would say that, that you know, we have actually overtaken uh, Seattle in terms of the environment and difficulty to play here. Uh, Seattle remains one of, one of the better, better uh, places, you know, harder places to play. Um, you know, I think Phoenix draws well. You know, that's that's a you know they, they get loud and um, you know I'm trying to think some other places that are, that are growing. You know, with their support, Connecticut. You know, with with the success of their team. You know, grew grew uh, last year. So, but I, I think that most people would tell you that uh, Minnesota is the hardest place. Thank you. <laughs> Love it. You gotta like that, right? Yeah. Uh, so let me ask you this. So uh, basketball is constantly changing, evolving. Um, I read a quote from you recently, and you talked about the importance of analytics. How important is not just analytics, but really embracing modern basketball and how important the three ball is now? Well, you know, I'm not somebody uh, that ha- that gets too excited one way or the uh, one way or the other in terms of the extremes. Um, you know, obviously, what Houston's doing is working for them, um, but what people won't 
talk about with Houston is their it's their improved defense that has allowed them yes to That's so a huge so part of it. Yeah. yeah you you can't have you know the Phoenix Phoenix Mercury who had um, uh, Paul um, Paul Westhead that was their coach Paul Ball right it was about scoring 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 they won one championship um, doing that but I guarantee if you look at their years it was it was their defense at some point you have to get a stop yes at some point yeah. and so what we really believe in is is the, is the combination of uh, the best offense the best defense obviously rebounding being a, a big piece of that uh, we've been that for for our eight years that's been you know hugely successful for us we have not been a team that has and maybe it's because I don't have the players if I had the players that sure, yeah. uh, were more three ball oriented then maybe I'm I'm into this um, this this three the value of the three thing I think you have to be able to shoot a three we went to that last year we saw a team so we, we have some of the greatest mid-range players in the oh, history yeah, of the league definitely right so we're not going to deviate from that I'm not going to go well hey let's we need to start shooting more threes and forget those shots that have been money in the bank for exactly. years um, so we think a balance is really important so we've asked we asked um, you know Simone to you know put more time in and get her you know, before the line moved back she was shooting about 45% from the three the line moves back and she drops into the 20s high 20s for a couple of years yeah that changes it quite a bit absolutely and, and Brunson only attempted 13 threes in her career going into last season, and and she attempted you know 70 or 80 uh, this year. So so clearly we we you know we we find value, but we have a traditional center. That's yeah. the reason why we want the three. You have a traditional center needs space. You know we have defensive three seconds, which is great, but you can still crowd if you if you don't have mm-hmm. to go out there and guard people. So you got to be willing three ballers. We just traded for a point guard that hasn't made a three in the. WNBA. People are very concerned about that. How, how is that going to work? Um, you know, we, we can only just say we have a, we have a belief in, in what we're doing, and um, we think that if you if you if you attract uh, people that are passionate about the game and have a thirst for improving, then, then good things are going to happen. She's already made uh, two, two, uh, two threes over in, in Hungary, so we're already on the right track. I think I guarantee that she'll make at least one three during the process. <laughs> <It's a> process. <laughs> well, you know, you talked about Brunson taking the threes, and I, I can't remember where, where I heard it that that was a focus for this last season yeah. that you asked her, her to do that. Mm-hmm. And having a true center um falls it it packs the paint obviously if you can't spread it out i mean i I don't care what you're doing i mean it makes it more difficult and i just think you know i look at how the WNBA finals played out for your team and there were some people when sly won the mvp that were saying hey maybe it should be some somebody else but i almost wonder what were they watching because she was dominant. I mean, yeah. you granted, I mean, you can go down the list of all your players. They all played they all played exceptional because you won the championship, but when you look at how you know, it had to it going into side of her, having to deal with that, factoring in you had to basically put two people on her yeah. or she was getting the rebound. Yeah, I, I don't know who might have thought that that still didn't deserve uh, MVP. Well, the the, 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 the world of Twitter. Thought oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't see that, but that, like you said, I don't know what, what they were watching because you know still didn't get enough credit. Something that wasn't talked about was her passing out of the double team uh, when those when the opportunities presented themselves. She just had a you know I just thought she had a great series in recognizing when to take on possibly a double team, when to kick it out, and then as you mentioned on the glass, she was unbelievable. Her and Rebecca Brunson were 
so good. That was the difference in the in the games four and the game five was was the uh, relentlessness that they approached their their rebounding. I thought Rebecca's defense was amazing, especially in that closeout game. Um, being a guard myself, playing basketball, it was always crazy with throw it into a center you talk about the passing ability i mean you're asking them to not only score get rebounds block shots contest shots oh by the way be a good passer as well it's it's very overlooked the passing ability of bigs because it's it can be bad i mean it can be detrimental because it makes people not want to throw it in because it might not ever come back out or it's going to be a yeah. turnover. Um, you know, it gets hectic down there. I mean, getting double teamed. So, is, you know, Syl, Syl's emergence. So, so Syl was always a good player. This wasn't a case yeah, that exactly. you know, she wasn't good, then all of a sudden she was great. Uh, she was always a very good player, had a heck of a resume. And But we just we just added a little bit to her game. We worked really, really hard. Um, by the time midseason hit, she was seeing double and triple teams. And uh, we hit a stretch of the season where the double teams were, were really bothering her. Different angles people were coming on. And, and uh, uh, I know that we welcomed that. We said we want her to see all those difficult, challenging schemes before we get to the playoffs so we know what we have to work on. And and uh, so the regular season went about as perfectly as it could go other than Lindsey Whalen being injured and, you know, we had to kind of hang on, you know, to the number one seed. Uh, Renee Montgomery played great the last, uh, her final three mm-hmm. games and and uh, we were able to hang on to that one seed and it proved to be pretty big since we, we won a championship at home in five games. Let's let's look ahead to the upcoming season. So the WNBA uh, decided to have the season be done before the World Cup this year, which is towards the end of September, if I believe. September 22nd, yeah. Uh, so last season you played 34 games in 114 games, and now it gets cut to 34 and 90. I mean, with with you bringing back your, your starting five, but losing some reserves and bringing some new talent in, is this kind of the point where you say, well, I'm going to have to rely more on the bench to kind of keep up with, you know, that, that shortened schedule or, uh, I mean, what, how do you kind of figure your rotation now that you've lost 24 days of your, of your schedule? Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge in terms of the, the time frame. This is going to be a survival of the fittest type of summer. Um, you know, I would say the last two years, we really began to use our, our bench much, much more, um, because we wanted to make sure that Lindsay and Simone and Rebecca are our three older players are able to be when we get to playoffs able to feel like they can peak perform um you know you don't want to gas them and play 32 34 minutes like we used to do and so really the last two years we we gained a lot of confidence in our bench and so now the challenge is going to be we don't the margin for error in this season is 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 not very much you know we start off six out of nine on the road um you know obviously there's going to be 17 home games 17 road but we're going to start off with a with a tough schedule and we have a new group, so, uh, so to speak. We have, you know, a young player in Alexis Jones who was here last year. We have Chechi Zandalusini, young player that only spent a couple weeks with us at the end of the season. And then Temi Fagbenli, who, uh, again, a young player that didn't see much time at all. Those were the remaining three players that we had on the bench. We had retirement and we had free agency issues. So so we've kind of remade uh, the second team. And so now the, the challenge for me is going to be trust. Um, you know, so trade it for Danielle Rod. Robinson. We signed Tanisha Wright, a veteran who I think I'm just going to enjoy the heck out of coaching. I just, I hated going against her. Uh, highly competitive. Great defender. Great defender. Yeah. Tremendously tough uh, mentally and physically. And those are all things that are endearing um, to this coach. And, and so I think
think that, you know, trust will be easy to come by for the veterans. You know, I think for Danielle, it's just a matter of figuring things out, you know, throw into that, that we do have a three week training camp. However, more probably half of our team is going to miss at least half of training camp because of the late arrivals from Europe. So it's going to be, you know, hard to get it all going. Um, and so, you know, what I don't want to do is rely heavily on Lindsay and Simone to have to play 32, 34 minutes because that's just going to be detrimental to, you know, different the points this down, yep. down the road. So um, we're going to have to do it. They're going to, you know, we're going to have to, you know, quickly, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to work our tails off in training camp the time that we do have. And then, uh you know, nobody's going to feel sorry for us. Sure. <laughs> you know, we, we got to be ready when, when we tip off May 20th. I mean, all the teams have to deal with this condensed schedule. I mean, we're talking playing three to four games at a minimum a week. I looked at the schedule. It looks like there's no greater period than five days of rest. Is that yeah, true? We have, we have one week. We have a one, fi- one five-day stretch, that, that you know, early <laughs> June. Yeah. And My then obviously goodness. all-star break. Yeah. So with that being said, um, the playing field's equal in that respect, but it, it, the collective bargaining agreement, is this built into that? I mean, I, I, I'm just curious on how the league decides that, you know, like where's the threshold? Like how much is it lo- logical to condense that season down? Because that yeah. feels like a lot of pressure. Like you said, you got overseas players coming in, you're half a training camp. Um, before we got on the air, we talked about um, when you draft a player, you, you, you have a small window of time to work with them. It seems like a lot of pressure on you know across the board. It is, and I, you know I think that's always been a difficult balance uh, for for the commissioner of our league, president of our league. That you know um, the Europe thing is a reality, and Europe Completely. is just not. Uh, they won't relent on their schedule. There is no. You wish there was more collaboration. You wish there was a case where you know the all the leagues you know because we're kind of sharing players, and you know Completely. we just want to be. Successful successful and you know and then and then so you have the professional leagues that that you know we wish we could do better uh in terms of you know starting ending and then oh by the way there's this olympic thing you know yeah. that there's a bunch of national teams that are tugging at their plays players going well we need you at these training camps and and so it's a lot it, it's just the reality uh i would say of our sport um you know the fact that we play in the summertime is, is our reality because you know we're, we're trying to stay away from competing with obviously all that goes on during the winter uh it's our best chance to get eyeballs in terms of you know media coverage and and so it kind of is what it is and so we do the best that we can but like you said it is it is quite a bit to juggle you wonder if if the next collective bargaining agreement comes down the pipe if they maybe ha- that's the opportunity to bridge that i'm just not you know? i'm just not sure what you yeah. can do i don't know you know i don't know what the cba somebody's got to pick up a phone you know i mean i'm just not sure <laughs> that's what i'm thinking yeah well, you know, it's like you said, it's a lot on the players. It's year-round play, and, you know, you, you get to a certain point where, you know, I mean, I'd say that Lindsay's there, Simone's there, Sill's getting there, Brunson's there, where they just, it's just too much, you know, and they're just going to concentrate on one thing. And we're very, very fortunate that our players are concentrating on the Minnesota Lynx. There are other pl- 
players that could forego playing the WNBA and concentrate on European play or playing in China or, or playing in South Korea. And, you know, I mean, we're fortunate that hasn't happened uh, too often. There was one high-profile situation with Tarasi a few years back. But, yes. um, you know, but obviously we want to avoid all that. And, and, and we want to do right by our players. And, you know, we'd love for them to get paid enough to not have to worry about playing in other leagues. But, you know, we're, we're far from that, you know, and, and we need – you know, media helps this in terms of the sport growing. Um, you know, the the more interest you know there is, then you, you start talking about sponsorship dollars and all that, and it just kind of snowballs. And hopefully, we grow to where we we can pay these players. I hope you get there too. Sooner the better. Yeah, I, I'm with you. <laughs> uh, once again, you are listening to quarter one of the Howl here on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net Channel. We are joined special guest, Lynx head coach and general manager Cheryl Reeve, uh, joining us in the den. Uh, Last thing that uh, we want to touch on, um, you know, you're getting ready for the draft here in a couple of weeks, so you get a very busy schedule ahead of you. But uh, on Sunday, Forbes released an article written by David Barry discussing the, the problems with women's college basketball, uh, specifically touching on uh, University of Connecticut and their blowout win in the uh, in the tournament. I want to get to your thoughts because I know you've been very vocal about media coverage and press coverage of of not just women's basketball but women's sports in general. Um, I mean, these kind of these kind of articles have to be upsetting to see. Well, I think actually it was a good article. Um, uh, it, it highlights the points that we're making. So David Barry was actually not saying that UConn winning. Uh, it, it's it's more the uh, there's some mainstream media types that just kind of peek in on women's basketball at this time and watch a blowout by by UConn and take to Twitter and and have something to say about that this is bad for the game. And what David was saying, that's not what's bad for the game. What's bad for the game is people that are sitting in positions of power to make decisions, largely white men that are editors, and um, the decision that they're making to not support women's sports is what's hurting women's basketball. That's the problem. It's not, um, I mean, it's still to say that because UConn is so good that that's bad for the game. You know, we kind of talk about it with the Minnesota Lynx that um, if you want to knock out the Lynx and you're going to have to get better. You're going to have to make improvements, and that means both on the court and off the court in terms of our business. You know, we think that the better we do, the more we lift up our league because if somebody else wants to be champion, you're going to have to keep up or pass us. Well, it's the same thing for UConn. And I look at just this year, you look at, uh, you know, a team like South Carolina who never cared about women's basketball, who sells out the place, led the nation in attendance, I think, both last year and this year. If not for UConn, and their chase to dethrone UConn, you know, I, they, they wouldn't look like they, they do today. Um, you know, Mississippi State, again, not, not a place that necessarily cared about women's basketball. Selling out the place this year. Uh, tremendous environment. To do what? To knock off UConn. Yeah. You know, and so you can't say that that dominance... I understand when you when you turn on the TV and you see that it's you know that the St. Francis game was obviously a really um, tough game for St. Francis but you know what uh, I, I've been on the side of it you know with Gino with USA Basketball there's a lot that goes into being great great deal of work great deal of pushing and prodding and pulling and, and, and players giving so much of themselves and the coaches work really hard and you don't ever go in, you don't go into a game going we're going to win by 30 
You never go into a game thinking that. UConn does not think that. You can't. You, you can't, can't afford to do it. You yeah. work so hard to, I mean, you're basically playing against yourself, going, I'm challenging myself. USA basketball, do you know every game we went into, we're not sure whether we're going to win or lose. Now, we, I mean, we're darn sure how good we are, but you don't have an assumption about the result of the game. And so, you know, when we win by 30 and people, you know, like, like we walk out of there feeling great. You know, that so much we just put into it was we were successful at. Um, we're not going, this was a blow. This wasn't fun to watch. It was fun for us yep. because of the work that we put into it. And so everything went the way you planned it to go. The hard work showed. Absolutely. And, and the result was what you wanted it to be. Absolutely. And then so is USA, is, is our dominance of the world in basketball bad uh, for the sport? It's not. You know what? The rest of the world is now putting more resources into it and it grows, it grows the game in, in, in just so many ways and so I just think it's a, a pretty shallow mindset pretty short sighted um, you know and like I said it's usually from somebody that only peeks in every once in a while really doesn't give a shit about the game well it's like know? like David said think about UCLA and men's college basketball for a number of years and then he goes you know the Patriots think about all these other yeah. male sports and no one says a word about it no one it. says a word you know yeah. and, and like he points out how big is football how big is men's college basketball why would it hurt a woman's sport if it's not hurting any other sports. That's exactly right. And that's crazy. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I, I appreciate, you know, people like, there's there's many people that have been saying this. Um, you know, David just took to, you know, he's got he's got a nice uh, forum, there, you know, a, a platform to, to be able to, so I was just really happy that uh, he spoke up, you know, at the time that he did, you know, because yeah, that takes courage, you know, because it's not necessarily yeah. always the coolest thing, mm-hmm. you know, to stand up for women's sports. And so, uh, you know, people are watching we matter and and uh, you know this is this is an interesting time you know obviously for women in society because we think sports is a microcosm of society so definitely um, you know it's it, we're, we're on the rise and and I can't wait to another another 10 or so years to see where this thing is why not now you know what I mean I, I, I love the fact that you're um, I feel like you're kind of beating the drum on this stuff and I and Please keep doing that. I know us here on Dash Radio is nothing but net channel. I mean, we have two WNBA shows currently, and we've been looking to add more. You know, this is a place where we try to have it be about basketball. So, well, we appreciate as, as, you as much as they us. can come on, and we can add shows. That's that's what we're looking to do because we have a 24/7 365 yep. stream of music you it's know music and, yep. and basketball mm-hmm. it's 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 whatever people want to be we're looking for content creators of that in that space well, that's so, why I came here cuz you know you, I appreciate you guys that. You said you were supportive and I, I want to support you all mm-hmm. in this in this venture and and uh, like there's there's plenty of content there's lots to talk about there is there's tons i mean it it's I've been diving into some of these weird like YouTube business meeting things and I, I see like certain spaces and this the women's sports is such a, a underutilized space simply for it's not that there's a lack of content there's a million stories that can be had people just need a platform to talk about them whether it's or print um, there's something I gotta I gotta bring this up in this article from Forbes and this really hit home and I gotta be honest with you Cheryl I am not a Adept into all of which surrounds media coverage for women's sports, other than the fact that I'm trying to be a place for it. Last November, he notes that major internet sites are more likely to cover animals than they are to cover women's sports. Mm-hmm. I can't think of anything. 
that upsets me. To be honest, <laughs> I mean that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what are we talking about? Like a, a penguin slipping on the ice and falling down, and we're gonna. You know, and and I can see it. I can totally see it right now. Somebody says, "Oh, look at that!" You know, versus South Carolina. You know, amazing win in in the tournament. You know? And we just, we have to do better, and and, and you know, and I that's I think the bottom line. That we do. We I do mean, better. it's and it's and I think that you know you can't stand idly by. Um, you know, I certainly could spend you know a lot more of my time doing X and O things and, and free agency and draft things. You know, but I'm I'm burning the candle at both ends right now, saying, yeah. Amen. You know, this this matters. Um, I can't I can't just stand by and, and let these things happen. And you know, we we have a motto that if you see something, say something. And so I, I've really tried to to get more involved. And use our voice and and I encourage all of us to do that both men and women um, you know that because there's a lot of men that, that care deeply uh, a lot of men have have daughters right sisters and um, you know their moms were, were great athletes themselves and and there's just um, you know I think there's enough of us out there that you know now's a time that we've just you know it can't just be status quo we just can't keep doing what we've been doing and you know change is hard and um, you know I think that's probably the biggest thing is that I've encountered many, many men that when I talk with them, we have so much in common about what we enjoy about sport, whether it's men or women, but never really understood that the way that they said something or their thought process, how it affected, uh, you know, women or, or women in sport, that it would be condescending because you're conditioned, you know, for so long yeah. since a young, from at a young age, you know, to be taught that these things are okay. We grow up in high in from from grade school to high school. This evolution of separation of girls and boys in terms of the quality of of whether it's a facility, the uniforms, whatever it is, and this natural separation that's gone on for years. Boys go well, yeah. I've I know that they're inferior because we've always had nicer locker rooms. No, so you don't know any better. Sure. And then the girls yeah. were conditioned to feel like, oh, that's what's supposed to be, and, and that's a sad thing because a lot of women are guilty later in life of not seeing it differently saying no that was wrong and we got to you know we've got to do better and 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 women got to support um you know the the women's sports aspect of it there's a lot of women getting involved and you know it's it's documented the, you know the NFL you know the growing population of who's following sport is yes. women you know and so those women that are following sport have to recognize too that women's sports you know should be a part of that of that following so just lots on our plate lots lots to tackle with that it feels like a paradigm shift really has to happen and you know 2018 very likely could be that year I, I honestly feel like I fall into the conditioning aspect I mean a lot of times when I'm referencing basketball I'm it's all like all my pronouns it's men driven you know what I mean it happens a lot it's just it's natural yeah. and you know I've honestly I've been trying since we've been working on this radio show for I mean we've been doing the howl for three years three now. years yeah um I'm tr- like actively trying to get better at it. Yeah. But you know, when I got 34 years of um, you know conditioning behind me, it's it's tough. It's not it's not but an it overnight not, change. It does but not change, change my love happen. for basketball. That's so true. If you're conscious of, it, if you care yep. about it, you know, I think one of the things I like to talk about, whether it's 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 our players about something or something like this, that if you're really interested in in making a change, um, there's a level of commitment. 
that has to go to that. And yep. so whether you really concentrate on the way that you say things, or maybe if you see something, maybe a buddy of yours says something, you go, uh-uh, that's, that's not okay. You know, you have to have a commitment to it. Um, if you're, if you, if, if it stops at just being interested in it, you know, think about that. Well, sometimes if you're just kind of interested in a chick versus you being committed to the chick, it looks, it's very different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of the same thing that you can tell when people are just interested, maybe uh, diversity and inclusion in the workplace. When you're interested in it, you do a few things here or there, but when you're committed to it, you can see. It's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. it's a big difference. Yep. And, and so that's that same thing. If, if you guys are really interested versus being committed, uh, we'll know. And what? I'll call you out on that. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate that. You know yeah. what? You know what's cool is is when I really started actively following you on Twitter is when in my head it made me start thinking like I try I tried to see you know where you were coming from on a lot of stuff and that's where like it's, it's is a gradual change and I think that's what's cool about your platform because. As somebody that is, you know, I I don't know anything else but basketball. I've grown up. I mean, my dad told me I started playing when I was four in the driveway, you know, and and that's all I've done. But I've always seen it through my lens. Mm -hmm. And it was literally through you, which I'm like, you know what? I see. I'm starting to see that, which I never would have, you know, maybe I would have came across it later down the road. But that's when it started to happen. And I just think... That story can happen today, can happen tomorrow, can happen down the road, just by you simply talking about that and us talking about it. And, That's right. And other people that are listening to this on Dash Radio, them talking about it. And I think this is a perfect time. 2018, let's go. Yeah, 2018 season coming up very quickly. Uh, the WNBA draft is April 12th, uh, which you can see on ESPN2. I think they're live streaming along with ESPNU. Uh, and then training camps open a couple weeks later, and the season is just under two two months away it's crazy. From, from tipping off. So, uh, again, thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck this season with the title defense. Thank you. Hopefully. That's uh, one thing this group hasn't done. I was just working out with Lindsay Whalen today, and she's like, Coach, in eight years, there's one thing we haven't done, and that's win back-to-back, back-to-back titles. Yeah. So, been, so it's been, the, been it, the it's odd seasons. Them. Yeah, it's really eating at them. The odd seasons so far are the ones that have come with the championship. So let's break that this year in 2018. Well, we're going to try. This could be it. We have a bottle of champagne. We're going to do a champagne toast for last season. I got a bottle in the fridge that we're going to save for next season. I love it. I love and, it. Uh, it with that, Kevin, is that a wrap on the first quarter? That's a wrap. Well, we've got our quarter two of the Howl here on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about here in tonight's NBA and WNBA talker segment. Uh, Rob, the first thing I want to touch on, Jimmy Butler is, uh, first off, the greatest human being in the NBA. Yes. I mean, he was he was at the on the bench for the game against the Houston Rockets. Wearing street clothes, but rumor had it, and we actually were able to confirm with a picture. Yep, with that picture, I like that, that he was wearing his game jersey under his blazer and, and shirt. Which I, there's nothing else to say. The guy is the guy is amazing. It's as good as it gets, right? I mean, you you want somebody that that's that's that dedicated to the game, that dedicated to the team, where even though he can't play, he's still wearing the team jersey, sitting in street clothes on the bench. Yep. Um, Tough loss for the for the Wolves against the Houston Rockets. Anytime you're down 25, it's obviously tough to come back. But let's touch here on his return because a lot of people are thinking that it might actually be a little bit quicker than we anticipate. 
Yep. So they they interviewed him, um, and you can actually see this uh, this little small kind of tidbit on NBA.com. And they talked about how he could be coming back sooner. Now, granted, like Jim Peterson talked about during the game last night, you know, you don't want to take any chances with an injury. You don't want him to come back too soon. But what Jimmy Butler specifically said, I can't give you the exact date, but I want to come back and I want to help, which that's no surprise. Um, he goes on to say, I have a little bit of time left, but I know my guys are going to stick this thing out and do what they've been doing, keep us in this race. And when I come back, we'll see what we have left in the tank. I just want to play. I feel like I've done this long enough to know that I can still go out there and make something happen. Now, I promise you, I'll be out of shape. I promise you that. But just getting out there and getting back in a rhythm of things, that's going to come natural. So, I mean, that's that's big. Yeah, that is that is huge. Get back before the playoffs. Now, granted, uh, let's all be clear. Playoffs are not guaranteed at this stage. The West is really, really good. So that's that's one thing to, t- to keep in mind. But on top of that, I, I do think that if you get Jimmy Butler back before the playoffs, and if you, you know, let's say, I look at it this way. Let's say you're one or two games out, or maybe you have a one or two game lead. If you do get Jimmy Butler back, I think he would come in and just solidify that. I don't yeah. think I don't think he's going to take losing. He's just not going to do it. Well, no, and, and remember, too, how tight the West is. There's legitimately a half game that separates the five seed from the eight seed and two games that separates the five seed from the nine and the ten. Um, so, I mean, it's it's a very tight race. The Wolves have a little bit of an easier schedule, but you got to win these games. Um, Carl Anthony Towns said it best, home games, away games, games on the moon, we've got to win all of them. I mean that's that's, fair. that's that's the quote of the year for Carl Anthony Towns, and it's and it's honestly the truth. The Wolves cannot afford to lose these games that that they're losing now. Granted, nine times out of ten, you're not going to beat the Houston Rockets. I mean, yeah, I, think it's, I mean the way that the way that they play, it's not a realistic possibility. But games against teams like the Lakers, the Nuggets, the Kings, t- games that you should win, you need to win, and that's that's a nice little stretch coming up for the Wolves, where they need to go at least four and two, five and one, if they want a shot of staying in this playoff race. Uh, but nonetheless, good to see Jimmy Butler on the bench with the team, wearing his jersey under it, uh, just absolutely phenomenal to see, and I absolutely love it. Um. You know, we've we've been talking about uh, in the NBA here this year. One of the big things is mental health awareness and looking out for your health as a uh, as a player. Uh, Tyrone Liu is stepping away, not for mental health reasons, but for health reasons in general. Uh, he came out and said that he hasn't been sleeping well and that it's been causing a lot of a lot of stress. Uh, one uh, one thing I, I saw here said that he um, he quotes. I have had chest pains and other troubling symptoms compounded by a loss of sleep throughout the year. Uh, a team source told ESPN that when Cleveland returned from its road trip doesn't specify a date, but he did not fall asleep until 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning. So um, all of our best to Tyrone Liu. Hopefully he gets better. Kevin Love made his return Monday night to the Cavs-Bucks game. Uh, so good to see him kind of, you know, and, and he had that huge article about mental health awareness. So um, lots of focus in the NBA, not just on the game, but the health of its coaches and players. And I think that's really good to see. I think it's very important, uh, whether it's uh, like you mentioned, coaches, whether it's players. I just they and, and, and part of the problem, I think, is that the NBA hasn't always taken it seriously. You know, you look at, you know, things like Royce White. Uh, you look at some of the times where. 
you just really felt like they could do more. And I think they're starting to take that seriously. And especially because of the players, like you mentioned yeah. the Kevin Love article, uh, those little things all make a huge difference. And, and really, I mean, Royce White was kind of the guy to kind of spearhead all of this. I mean, he when was, you, when you really think about it, I but it, but it started the conversation, but it, but it still kind of died down until it, it really started catching on. But, um, you know, in this whole Tyrone Lou thing, um, David Alders said multiple coaches have talked about literally walking the streets of a city after a tough loss, replaying the entire game in their heads. Sleep is non-existent. So you're walking into it with, you know, maybe an hour, two hours, three hours of sleep. That's not a normal human being cannot be functional, much less a, a guy that has that much stress on his plate. Exactly. So I think that's fair. I really just really hope that he uh, that he's okay that he can you know catch up get some sleep I know the team is going to rally around him and uh, and hopefully should be okay yeah that's that's what we're really hoping for at this stage uh, let's move on to our next one uh, Rob you've got a a prospect focus for this week we're starting with our prospect focus getting ready for that NBA draft yep. coming soon so the look is at DeAndre Ayton uh, the unfortunate part about DeAndre Ayton is you weren't able to watch more of him um, but that actually goes into what we're going to talk about here briefly is one of DeAndre Ayton's uh, biggest weakness is his defense uh, that's an issue he's had since high school and some people are starting to wonder if that's going to make a difference as far as if he goes number one or if a guy like Luka Doncic goes number one um, if, if you've watched DeAndre Ayton play basketball before you know the guy is a supreme talent he's athletic he can shoot the ball really well for a big man whether it's you know mid-range game whether it's free throws the, he's obviously able to do that great post game so he has you know a lot of skills but getting better on the defensive end is going to be crucial that end of the floor there are a lot of players that come into this league and you feel like they kind of they kind of forget about it. They, they focus on scoring or they focus on passing. Um, but for him to be successful at that next level, he is going to have to have a two-way game. And considering his size, I mean, he's already got that NBA body. There's no excuse for him not to get better on that end. And hopefully he can go to the right team and that, and that can happen. But So DeAndre Ayton is a, is a player to really watch. I mean, if he, even if he doesn't go number one, he's for sure going to go top five and someone's going to get just a really talented player in this draft. Yeah, so a little bit out of the Wolves kind of realm of draft pick, but a name to no, nonetheless. Yep. Oh, definitely. Um, speaking of NCAA, uh, there's an article that was just posted by CBS Sports uh, reseeding the 2018 NCAA tournament. Uh, and, and obviously, we know just how crazy hectic that this is. Um, it's hard to get you know any remotely remotely close idea of what we're looking at now. This just does the 2016 or the Sweet 16. Um, you know, kind of seeds who's and, left and yeah, that. Yep, exactly. Uh, I think there's some cool stuff here, though. So, starting off, number one is Villanova, uh, followed by Duke, Kansas, Purdue, and then Texas Tech. Now, all of those seeds, with the exception of Texas Tech, are top two in their division. Texas Tech is a three seed, um, so uh, that that makes pretty good sense. Uh, Rob, any big surprises in this in this list? I mean, I'm going over it, not too many, although, you know, you see some names, and, and this is more uh, of an impressive type, but like number nine is Loyola, Loyola Chicago. Now, in my personal bracket, I had them winning both games, but uh, when you look at them at number nine, and then you start seeing, you know, Kentucky's 11, um, there's some teams, obviously, that you would anticipate normally being higher than that that are not anymore. A team that I would have been very impressed with, and I think is a team to watch out for the rest of the way, is Texas A&M at 13. Um, their actual seed is number seven. 
in the the West, and I've I've been so impressed with the way they've played. You know, so you you kind of like what you've seen from some of these teams. Um, you look at the bottom of the list. Uh, you know, Syracuse at sixteen, Kansas State at fifteen. Uh, you you definitely understand why they're further down the list. Uh, they're they're probably especially in Syracuse's instance. Um, they were pretty fortunate that the team they played just basically didn't show up. I mean, Michigan State was nowhere to be found at the end of that game. So I, I think this is a cool look at just where the teams are at now. So, again, this is on CBSSports.com. This is uh, – and it's titled Sweet 16 Reseeding the 2018 NCAA Tournament Field. And and they do point out Kentucky not in the top ten. But at the same time, Kentucky made it and – they consistently, under John Calipari, uh, find a way to be successful in yep. the NCAA tournament. There's a reason why people go there. The top recruits go there because he makes pros. I mean, he really does. And you're sitting here on the national stage. Everyone gets to see you. So it makes it makes a lot of sense. So I like this list. I think they've done a good job of just kind of breaking down where everyone is at this stage. I do too, but i got to say, don't overlook Syracuse in this tournament uh, you know, I think they have the opportunity to to beat Duke. I mean, it, it's not you know it's not always in the cards, and, and more than likely it's going to go Duke's way. But if anybody could beat Duke in this tournament right now, I think Syracuse is the team to do it. So I wouldn't sleep on them uh, in that uh, in that sense. You have a, so of the teams that are left over, who are your who are you taking? So in my personal bracket. My, the team I picked to win it all is still there, and that's Villanova. And I've been very impressed with them so far. You know, I'm I'm big on Villanova myself. Uh, my two Final Four team, or three of my Final Four teams lost. Uh, my two championship teams lost, and my winner lost. So I, I've officially ripped up my bracket and thrown so wait, it in the garbage. You, so who did you have in your Final Four? Who did you have winning? Uh, so I had Arizona. Uh, my two, I had, or the other, I had Purdue, Xavier, and Michigan State. Okay. And I had Xavier, Michigan State in the final with Xavier winning. So I had I had Michigan State, Villanova. So Villanova I still have. And then, um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I was going to go with Arizona. But in the end, what I normally end up doing is I kind of focus on one player with my team. Yep. And I say, all right, in this bracket, this is my guy, and I'm going to have him make a run. So my team name was DeAndre Ton of Wins. A ton of wins. And so I always a go kind of. A ton of wins. Yep. But in the end, I said, you know what? I can't do it. I don't trust Arizona enough. Unfortunately, I decided to put my trust into Virginia. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. Yes, who I had going to the finals. Um, but again, uh, I have Villanova as my winner. They're still available. And I do have one of my final four teams left uh, other than Villanova, which is Gonzaga. And I, I just really have to hope that they keep finding a way. You know, the key for Gonzaga has been, you know, Xavier's done. Cincinnati's done, so they're one of the they're one of the top teams left in their bracket. So it'll be interesting to see what happens from there. You know, I was I was pretty proud of myself. I had picked a couple games that I don't think a lot of people picked. I chose Buffalo over Arizona. Um, I chose Nevada to beat uh, to beat Tennessee. I chose Marshall to beat. Uh, um, oh my gosh, why am I blanking now? Uh, Marshall to beat uh, Wichita State. Oh yeah, that but was see, nice. That was super lucky on my part. One of my best friends' his brother goes to Marshall, so I kind of picked. I went the yeah, Homer pick. Sometimes there. that's all you need to do. Um, and uh, yeah, and so I. I mean, I was pretty proud of myself for some of my picks, but man, having my three of my final four out already at this stage of the game, it's completely done. The teams I, I, I just, went with for upsets. I had um, SF Austin beating Texas Tech, and it was close. Like they put on a, a good effort, just couldn't couldn't end up uh, you know finishing off in the end. 
And then I also had New Mexico State beating Clemson, another team that just – and it's funny. I underestimated a few teams, Clemson being one of them, Texas Tech being another, because yeah. they're still alive. Yep. So kudos to them. Yeah, this is, this is – I mean this is what March Madness is all about. So props to uh, – to the to the underdogs. I mean, yep. this is this is what makes March Madness honestly a lot of fun. No, and that's just no. This is just that's just a look at the men's uh, brackets. I will say the women's brackets have been very good. Um, you know, hey, we were we were watching games tonight. We've been watching games tonight. Um, definitely, you know, you had the Duke versus Georgia was a pretty big blowout. Uh, Buffalo, obviously the big talker. Yeah, Buffalo wins by almost twenty. Yep, they, uh, they had a great Central game. Michigan blowing out Ohio State. So some really good uh, games on the women's side. Obviously, the story is always going to be. UConn, how dominant they are. Yep. You, you know, but you see, they only they only won by twenty five tonight. Yeah, right. Only twenty five. I mean, you know, by by their standards, I I don't think that I would consider that a blowout. And you know, and, and like we touched on with with Coach Reeve, there's obviously. Um, you know more to the story than just oh look UConn's dominating. This is causing other teams to step up. South Carolina, uh, you know, they're one of the most popular State. teams in yep. the country now. So. If you're not watching the women's tournament, I strongly suggest you do so because there's a ton of good games. And how cool would it be to see someone upset UConn? I would love to see it happen. But is, even if is not, it, is it going to happen? Probably not. But it would be it would be a blast to watch. It would. But at the same time, how cool is it? You know, as someone that lived through the Jordan era, I can say I got to watch a good amount of Michael Jordan play basketball. Yep. So there's still something to be said about being able to watch a team or like. A college as good as UConn is. Like, you get to say, I watched when they were dominating, you know? Think about people in the 70s when they were watching UCLA dominate, you know, winning 10 of 12. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 almost, you know, you get to the point well, where you get you, to say, I, want to, I got to be part of something special. And UConn's been doing it forever, too, and that's the thing. And, like, and that's back to, like, to the Lindy, Lindsay Whalen college days. Yes. Um, so, shout out there. Uh, moving along, I'm going to introduce something, Rob, in our talker segment called Kevin's Fun Fact of the Day. Uh, introduce basically something that you may not know that might be pretty cool. Uh, doesn't necessarily have to do with stats or anything along those lines, sure. but um, so this is a shout out to uh, your face lol on Reddit who pointed this out. Uh, John Stockton's son currently plays for the Utah Jazz. Larry Nance's son currently plays for the Cavaliers. Gary Payton's son is on the Lakers. Corey Crowder's son is on the Jazz, and Doc Rivers' son is on the Clippers. It's kind of cool. teams that they that they uh, you know that their sons play for they played for uh, pretty cool to see um, you know you, you don't you don't see that kind of thing really ever happen that not just one but I mean when you when you've got five like this but some cool connections yeah I mean, very really very cool, cool connections I like that so that is uh, Kevin's fun fact of the week here on the uh, on the talker segment as we are on uh, quarter two of Dash Radio's nothing but net channel the howl. Uh, Rob, let's let's touch on a WNBA, WNBA overseas report and see how uh, how some links are doing over uh, overseas while we wait for the season to get underway here in just under two months. Yep. So Sylvia Fowles was just part of the uh, the Chinese finals, um, and you know she was over there playing with uh, the the Beijing Great Wall team, and they I mean they honestly just dominated the playoffs. Um, they lost just one game over three rounds uh, in a best of five finals. Um, you know, she dominated, uh, John Quill Jones also dominated. Uh, and, and it was just, it was, it was pretty cool to see for anyone that is over there, I'm sure, because Sylvia follows, we're so blessed to get to watch her when she plays with the Lynx. And there she was dominating over, over in China. Talk about averages, 23.3 points, 15.7 rebounds, uh, in the final game to clinch the title for Beijing. She attacked the stat sheet, as they say on uh, WNBA.com. 
32 points, 22 rebounds. Jeez. That is like a hell of a game. Speaking of uh, of killing it overseas, over in the EuroLeague uh, playoffs, Maya Moore uh, is just dominating. Uh, she joined the second half of the EuroLeague season with Russian force UMMC. Uh, they've won both of its games by an average of 23 points in the quarterfinals. But she's filling the stat sheet with 21 points, 6 assists, and 7.5 rebounds per game average. Yeah, that's crazy. That's that's some good numbers there. Uh, Angel McCountry is tearing it up for uh, uh, for the Atlanta game, you know. Dream. Yep. Uh, so just, I mean, there's there's a full list that you can see on WNBA.com of players playing overseas. It's kind of cool to see some of the countries that uh, that the Lynx play in. I mean, uh, let's see. I mean, like obviously Sylvia plays in China with Natasha Howard. Uh, Renee Montgomery plays in Israel with Alexis Jones. Uh, you know, Natasha Howard's playing in China. Uh, Anna Cruz is playing in Russia. Lisa Bercani in France. So, uh, you know, they travel all over the country to, to play with different teams in the offseason. So it's it's kind of cool to see. And you can go team by team. I mean, there's South Korea, uh, Poland, Lebanon, Turkey, uh, Australia, Hungary, that, that some of these, uh, these, these stars play in. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, to springboard off of that, I want to touch briefly on something we did talk about a little bit with with Coach Reeve, but the Minnesota Lynx last week, they signed guard Tanisha Wright. Yes. Uh, well, the reason why I think this is going to be so important for the team, number one, she's a, a 12-year veteran, WNBA champion, one of the best defenders the league has ever seen. I mean, just so fantastic on that end of the court. But now this last, past season, she actually was out of the WNBA, uh, she was an assistant coach at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. So uh, they finished uh, a 14-16 re- record. She was not the head coach, but still. So you get this um, assistant coach training. So when she comes in, not only is she going to be able to help on the court, but now she can help off the court. She can help on in practice. You just can't say enough about someone that's been as successful as she has been in the league. But then for her to also have coaching experience, I just think she's yeah. proved so valuable to this team. Uh, d- definitely needs some defensive help, uh, like you know, like Coach Reeve said in our interview with her that you know sh- she lost some some quality bench players, and so working on trying to rebuild the bench and and not need to play the starters so many minutes, uh, having a player with solid solid defensive capability is definitely going to help. Yep, I, I just think it helps. And we talked about how they lost some bench players, and anything you can do to kind of solidify that is going to be big. Just to go over some of her statistics, um, you know, when she was in the postseason, uh, she's appeared in so in eleven of her twelve seasons, she was in the WNBA playoffs. Averages of ten points per game, three rebounds per game, three point three assists per game. Uh, so thirty five career postseason appearances, forty seven point one percent from the field. Just under seventy eight percent from the free throw line and twenty seven minutes per game. So I mean, she was putting up good numbers and really playing significant minutes. Uh, she was part of the the two thousand ten run by the Seattle Storm. She started in all seven playoff games and they finished seven and zero. So pretty cool. Great veteran presence to have on this team. Yeah, can't and say I think, enough about the I importance think, of that. I think that's what we need. Uh, moving along. In uh, pop culture news, it has been announced today uh, that LeBron James is producing a new house party movie. I'm very excited about this. Uh, now, Rob, you and I said that uh, uh, there's no way that this movie can premiere or be anything if Kid and Play isn't in it. Yep. 
I agree. It has to be. I mean, uh, so for anyone that hasn't seen it, there's a great um, there's a great video clip on YouTube. If you go on there and just look up uh, house party, it's like a da- house party dance off. Okay, and they they have the dance. Um, it's their two girlfriends versus their two those two at the party. I think it's house party two, but. Uh, Fantastic dance. For anyone that isn't familiar with their dance, obviously they lock the legs. Yep. They do all this cool stuff with their feet and legs. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. And it's so peak 90s. It's, it, it solidifies what the 90s was all about in yeah. those movies. Love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, the new film is being written by Stephen Glover and Jamal Olori. Uh, if you recognize those names, they are part of the award-winning, amazing TV show Atlanta, which you can find on FX. So good. Starring so Donald good. Glover, who is one of my favorite musicians ever. Uh, quick story, I, he uh, is going on tour, and he has a show in Chicago, September 9th. Uh, if anybody here is listening in Chicago and can get me ticket, tickets on the cheap, please let me know. Uh, but I was in line 10 minutes before tickets went on sale, refreshed my browser, all tickets gone. That's crazy. But Heartbreaking. Now, for anyone that doesn't know, obviously, Donald Glover, Childish Gambino. Yes, just phenomenal. Phenomenal musician. We've, you know, we've featured him on this show a few times, and if you haven't listened to his music, you need to. And if you haven't watched his show, Atlanta, you need to. Not just that, so but well done. Community, incredible. Oh, community his his stand up specials, incredible. Him and Abed in yep, the, uh, yep. Yes, and then fantastic. One of my favorite things is that he's going to be Lando Calrissian in the new Star Wars Han Solo movie that comes out in a yes. few months. I mean, so talented. Everything he does is gold. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it is. I have not. I have not seen one thing of his that I just I do not like so uh, super happy that those guys are working with him on it um we're working with lebron so that that gives me a lot of confidence that yep. this movie is gonna great. be well yep. uh, lebron d- did note that some of his cavaliers teammates weren't born when the original <laughs> film came Which is out part, it sounds like it's part of the reason he wants to do it is because he wants to bring to light uh this great movie franchise that most people weren't able to experience yeah uh one other thing, too, I wanted to touch on, Rob. Fox Sports 1 is televising the Big 3 draft this year, uh, showing a lot of faith in Ice Cube and the Big 3. Uh, some great names are joining that draft this year uh, and joining the league. Uh, Greg Oden is joining the Big 3 league, so I'm super excited for that. Uh, There's a lot going on with the Big 3 behind the scenes. You know, you have all the, all the issues with... Uh, possible embezzlement, the issues about uh, mistreatment of you know some of the executives. There's some there's some stuff going on there. So uh, it's good to see something uh, positive for this league going forward. I think televising the draft is I think it'd be pretty important. You look at how people were kind of clamoring for the All Star draft yep. to have been televised. I, there's something about drafts that are just fun to watch. So let me let me go down some of the new players here real quick. Uh, Amari Stoudemire, Drew Gooden. Carlos Boozer, uh, Glenn Big Baby Davis before his yeah, uh, his, his uh, legal issues, Nate Robinson, Baron Davis, Meta World Peace, who will play as Ron Artest, just which, so you know. Which is hilarious. Um, so good list. Yeah, great, great, that's great list. To the, the list that's already out there. I mean, all the players that were in it last year. I mean, this is a lot of fun to watch for anyone that uh, enjoys basketball. It's must watch. Yeah, this is great. Uh, they have not officially released the uh, – the date, I believe. I'm checking my sources. Uh, Smush Parker, Greg Oden, Eddie Curry are also joining. Uh, so, I mean, there's there's some high-quality names, and it's it's guys that still love to compete, still love to play, and uh, and absolutely crush it. So very, very excited for that. Uh, this right is the there. celebratory episode. This is a celebratory episode. Uh, once again, Popping bottles. a huge thank you to Cheryl Reeve for joining us in the den a great interview. If you happen to miss it, you need to check us out on iTunes, Podium, Stitcher, Google Play. 
uh, Wednesday, two to five Saturdays, 10 AM to 1 PM. You got to listen to the interview. It's absolutely phenomenal. Make sure to subscribe by the way on all of those locations. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You're not going to want to miss it. We got great guests coming up the rest of the year here. You're definitely not going to want to miss another episode of the howl here on dash radios, nothing but net channel. And until next time, can I get a howl? Yeah.